didn't love him first. It's not about how much I love God so much as it is about how much he loves me and how much he loves you. And I pray that before we leave this place today, there would be a renewing assurance of the love and the call of God on your life. God is pulling us. Talking to some people this week, and, and the pastor has said the same thing, but we are in a season of spiritual momentum. And, in, and we are all moving in the same direction with the same goal. I've talked to Jimmy about some things, and it's amazing, just things in prayer on my own. And, and I've talked to my wife about it, but you talk to other people, and they're, they're thinking the same things and praying the same prayers and, and in the same line. God is getting ready to do a great work through Sanctuary Church and through your life. He's doing incredible things. He's going to do an incredible work today. If you'll, in your Bibles, turn with me to the book of Matthew. And we were going to turn to chapter 14, verses 25 through 31. Book of Matthew, chapter 14, verses 25 through 31. A very familiar passage to us. If you've got it on your Bible or your phone, you say amen. If you've got it on the screen, you say that's just as good, brother. Can't take the screen home with you, but it's sure nice to have it here. <laughs> Matthew chapter 14, verses 25 through 31 says this. And in the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went into them walking on the sea. They were, And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled, saying, It is a spirit, and they cried out for fear. But straightway Jesus spake unto them, saying, Be of good cheer, it is I, be not afraid. And Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it be thou, bid me come unto thee on the water. And he said, Come. And when Peter was come down out of the ship, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. But when he saw the wind boisterous, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried, saying, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus stretched forth his hand and caught him and said unto him, O thou of little faith. Wherefore didst thou doubt? For the next few moments, I want to preach from this title, You Can't Walk on Water. You Can't Walk on Water. You may be seated. It's popular to say that anything is possible. It's a popular thing to say that with effort and education you can pretty well achieve anything and do anything that you set your mind to. Now as a teacher I would love to believe that. It is my profession. Um, I would love to believe that. I do think that people are capable of much, 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 much more than they often believe that they're capable of. I believe everybody is capable of doing greater things than you, than you often think uh, that you are capable of. Humans are wired for achievement, after all. When we look over the course of human history, we see things that were once deemed impossible become relatively commonplace. 
We've not only put a man into space, but we've put a man on the moon. We've got people up in satellites. We've got or on space stations. We've got satellites up there. We've run the four-minute mile and, and less, and we've done all kinds of athletic feats. We've found a cure for all kinds of disease and sickness and, and things like that. They've invented the light bulb and the automobile and the helicopter and the airplane, and you name it, they've made it. We've got computers. We've got phones that on my phone I can contact someone in an instant all the way on the other side of the planet. It's wild. Almost anything is possible. We're living in a day where, where almost anything is possible. I mean, I drove by the Krispy Kreme just the other day. The hot donut sign was on, and I did not stop. Almost anything <laughs> is possible. But not everything is possible. Let's be real. Not everything is possible. You ought not to feel bad about that. You ought not to feel bad about it. We just have to come to terms with some things about our limitations. No matter what I do, no matter how much I practice, no matter who trains me, no matter how much of a gym rat I become, I am never going to be an all-NBA center at a generous five foot nine. I'm not going to be that. It ain't happening for me today, tomorrow. It ain't happening in this lifetime. I would be surprised if it happened up there either. Um, it's just not happening for me. If I told you right now that I was going to start training to jump from this pulpit to the moon, I would hope that you would be very skeptical of that. And if you're not, I got some property to sell you. And you would be skeptical for a good reason, right? Because what I'm saying is impossible. It doesn't matter what I do. I cannot do that. Some things are just not meant to happen for you. It's all right. You don't have to get upset over it. You don't have to get worked up about it. It's just not going to happen. No matter what I do, I will never, ever, ever get to experience what it's like to go through the drive-thru and be called sir. I've just got the voice of somebody that gets called ma'am in the drive-thru. <laughs> Nothing I can do about that. I used to be embarrassed of it. You just got to come to terms with it. There's nothing you can do sometimes. Some of y'all some of y'all live a little more blessed, I guess, than I do. And you think, well, I, I think pretty well anything is possible. But but think about this. If you've got, anybody got a wife that likes to craft? Is it just me? Maybe you've got daughters. Maybe I don't know how this is. Um, but but I, I imagine you might see some of the same things. But no matter what you do, the moment that glitter invades your house for the very first time, Lord help us today. You already, the ones that know what I'm talking about, know because you still you refer to those times as like BG and AG, before glitter and after glitter. Because like I used to be able to walk through my house and look at my clothes and not see them bedazzled with some glitter but now I can't and it glitter will spread like the plague across every surface and no matter how much you clean your only option is either to accept it or move I don't even know that burning your house down would get rid of it I don't know but like sickness or the flu it just spreads um you can't get rid of it um some things are just impossible it's impossible to go pick up McDonald's for your kids or your spouse and every one of the hot french fries make it back home still in the bag. It's impossible. It's just, it's like the sun rising and the sun setting. They ain't all getting back home. Um, 
You're going to lose some socks in the dryer sometime. Those french fries ain't going to stay in the bag. Um, Some things are just impossible. And Peter comes across one such thing in our text. Jesus has just fed the 5,000 with a few loaves and fish just previously to our reading. And he has sent his disciples and the multitude away so that he can go up the mountain alone to pray. Yet after only a few hours, according to Mark's account of this story, Jesus sees his disciples sailing on the water, and they are struggling against the winds, and they are toiling against the waves. And no doubt in that moment, his disciples probably reasoned that Jesus had no thought of them. After all, why would he? He was all the way up on the top of the mountain by himself. They were all the way down in the water on their ship. There was distance between them. He had been healing and he had been preaching and he had been ministering and he had been multiplying loaves and fish. Just in this same chapter, Jesus got the news that his friend John the Baptist had been murdered at the hands of Herod. He has gotten bad news. He's been ministering. He's been working and he needs a moment alone to pray and recover and and probably mourn the death of his friend. Surely, surely in that, Jesus would have no thought of them. They thought that they were probably the furthest thing from their master's mind in that moment. Yet from his mountaintop prayer meeting, Mark says that Jesus saw them. He saw them toiling against the wind and and struggling against the waves. Can I just tell you from the outset that Jesus knows where you are today? He knows exactly the things that you've been dealing with. He knows the storm that you are struggling with. He knows the things that are blowing against you and the things that you have struggled with all week and maybe for months. You might feel that He has sent you away from His presence and you might feel that He's got greater concerns on His mind, but He knows where you are. He knows the wind and the circumstances that are blowing against you. He knows right where you are and he has not forgotten you. He has ordained this moment and he will come to you today. Jesus sees them and immediately he leaves the mountain and goes to meet them on the water. So they're rowing and they're striving and doing all that they can to keep the ship on course, keep it from going under with what's going on. And they see a figure moving toward them across the water and through the mist and through the darkness. They see him coming and they are understandably scared to death. What in the world are you supposed to think? And they cry out for fear. And Jesus hears their cries and he says, Be of good cheer, it's me, don't be afraid. Now Peter the craziest of the apostles, he says, Oh, if it's you, Lord, bid me come to thee on the water. Excuse me? That is not what I would have said. That that is the furthest thing from what I would have said. I might have said, if it's you, Lord, in my bravest moment, I would have said, if it's you, Lord, give me two thumbs up. You know, if it's you, Lord... Wave twice and clap once. You know, if it's you, Lord, sing the old gospel ship or something. I don't know. But, but, but don't, don't ask me to go on the water. Don't, don't ask me to do that. I don't want to do that. But Peter said, if it's you, Lord, bid me come on the water. So Jesus says, come. And here Peter goes. He's climbing down out of the ship and putting his first foot 
on the water and he, and he puts it down and he doesn't, he doesn't sink immediately and he puts his other foot down and he's looking at Jesus and he takes his first few steps across the water. Yet as he takes a few more, he begins to feel the wind blowing against his face. He looks to his left and his right and he sees the waves crashing around. And, and I don't know how it all worked, but, but we can assume some things. And he sees the conditions that he's in and he begins to, to doubt and he begins to, to sink. And as he's going deeper and deeper, Scripture says he cries out to Jesus. He says, Lord, save me. And Jesus responds so interestingly in Matthew chapter 14, verse 31, and we've read it. But look at this. And immediately Jesus stretched forth his hand and caught him and said unto him, That was pretty good for your first time, Peter. Ain't nobody else ever walked on water but me. You did all right. No, we don't say that. He stretched forth his hand and said, we got some work to do on this water walking business, but good for you stepping out when they sat still. No, we don't say that either. He stretched forth his hand and caught him and said unto them, him, O thou of little faith, what in the world? O thou of little faith, wherefore didst thou doubt? Maybe the part where I stepped on the water, Jesus. <laughs> wherefore didst thou doubt? Come on. You know that's harsh. That's got Jesus has to know this is a little bit harsh. Take it easy on Peter. I didn't see James and John stepping out. I didn't see any of those other disciples saying nothing. You know good and well Judas wasn't gonna do it. You know he wasn't. After all, not everybody gets to wake up and be God manifest in flesh every day. Not everybody can take a fish lunchable and feed 5,000 men plus women and children. They can't do it. Not everybody can turn water into wine. You know what that would do to Olive Garden's bottom line if they could? Not everybody can do that. Not everybody can heal the blind and the lame and the leper. Not everybody is the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Not everybody, when there was nothing, was by himself and then spoke the world into existence. Not everybody is God. And not everybody can walk on water either. I can't walk on water, and you can't walk on water. And so what if Peter ain't that good at walking on water either? You can't walk on water. Go figure. It's not like Peter got out there and doubted Jesus. Oh, that's the kicker, right? That is the kicker. Because not only did he take a few steps when no one else took steps, but when he went down, he never doubted Jesus. Not one time did he doubt Jesus. He knew Jesus could do it. He knew that Jesus wasn't going down with him. He knew that Jesus wasn't going to sink. He knew that God could take care of it. In his time of trouble, he doesn't say to the ship, y'all, throw us a rope. He says, Lord, save me. I know that you can walk on this water like it's pavement. Lord, save me. He's got faith in God. What do you mean, oh, you of little faith? That don't make any sense doesn't make any sense. I've been perplexed by this exchange throughout my life. How is it that Peter is rebuked for his faith when he steps out while others sit still? And even while he sinks, he keeps believing in God. To me, that is great faith. Or at worst, 
an acceptable level of faith. It is certainly not little faith. Sure, eventually Peter does sink on the water, but it's not like I've ever walked on water before. I've ne- Look, when I step into a pool, I step into the pool. I don't step onto the pool. Right? I've never got into the bathtub, but instead got on the bathtub. You know, I've never, you know, tried to do a cannonball and just, you know, bounced across the top. It's never happened for me that way. I've never walked on water, and I presume that none of you have walked on water. I can't do that. Surely our faith is not measured against Peter's. Right? How distraught would you be if our faith is measured against Peter's? Because if the man that takes even five or six steps across the top of the water gets rebuked for his little faith, what hope in the world do you and I have? I can't walk on water at all. And I imagine that you can't walk on water either. And so this is quite a strange exchange that they have. Now, this isn't the first time in the Bible that we we read something strange about the interactions of Peter and Jesus. The man that we know as Peter was, and and many of you know this, but he was not always known as Peter. Um, His birth name was Simon, and that's what everybody calls him up until John chapter 1 and verse 42, and, and that's when he meets Jesus for the first time. It says this, and he brought him to Jesus, when, when Pete, and when Jesus beheld him, he said, Thou art Simon, so you are, the son of Jonah. Thou shalt be called Cephas, which is by interpretation a stone. Simon is brought to Jesus by his brother Andrew, and Jesus says, You are Simon, that is who you are, you're the son of your father, but eventually you will be called Cephas. Now we get Cephas with the Aramaic translation and Peter from the Greek, but it is the same name, it's the same meaning. And Jesus tells Simon this, he tells Simon, one day they're going to call you Peter, one day you're going to be this person, but immediately afterward, in every recorded interaction, he proceeds to only call Call him Simon. Only calls him Simon. Jesus says, one day people are going to call you Cephas. They're going to call you Peter. You're going to be known as the rock, but that day is not today. Sure, we read the name Peter a lot in the Gospels, but not in the red letters. Never in the red letters except for three instances. Um, it's, it's always Peter did this or Peter did that because the Gospels are written in retrospect. They're writing about something that's already happened. The person that they, at the time they wrote it, knew as Peter and you would know as Peter is who they're writing about. But not, you read your Bible. That's not what anybody was calling him at the time. In fact, Jesus or no one else refers to him as Cephas or Peter a single time between that initial meeting and what we read in Matthew chapter 16, verses 15 through 18. And he said unto them, But whom say ye that I am? And Simon Peter answered and said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered and said unto him, Blessed art thou, notice what he calls him, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven, and I say also unto thee that thou art Peter. 
And upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Come on now. This is your moment, Simon. This is your moment. Jesus has prepared you for this day. He prophesied that one day people were going to call you Peter. He prophesied this over your life. And, and in your greatest moment, you got you got the revelation that none of the other disciples had. You had a revelation that no one else on the planet had at that moment, that you knew who Jesus was, and you've been walking with Jesus and learning from him and, and being with him. And he looks you in the eye on your mountaintop moment and says, Thou art Peter. Not that one day that you will be Peter. Not, you know, when you all this other stuff happens, they're going to call you Peter. But you have the God manifest in flesh of the universe look you in the eye and say, Thou art Peter. In his greatest moment, Jesus reminds Simon that he is more than just Simon. That God has a greater plan for him than for him to just be Simon. That in a sense, he's got to leave Simon behind and step in the shoes of Peter. It's awesome. It's awesome. You put yourself in that moment. You put yourself in Peter's shoes and think of the things that he had to be thinking in his heart at that moment. But saying that it's incredible doesn't really give you a picture of the reality that he faced. Because even after that moment, even after, every recorded interaction, every time that Jesus and the disciples interact with him, it's not Peter. It's not Cephas. It's not, you're the rock. It's Simon. Simon this and Simon that. And all this weird stuff with Peter, this this conflict about his name in that business and his conflict with his little faith comes to a boiling point in Luke chapter 22, verses 31 and 32. It says this, And the Lord said, watch, The Lord said, Simon, Simon, Behold, Satan hath desired to have you, that he may sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for thee. Well, what would you pray, Jesus? I prayed that your faith felt. Not, not that faith. What did you pray? I prayed that your faith fell not. And when thou art converted, strengthen thy brethren. Think about this for a minute. What do you mean you prayed that Peter's faith fell not? What do you mean that you're praying for his faith? His faith in what? Peter is literally the first disciple that knows who you are. He is the when no one else believes that you are God manifest in flesh. Peter is the one who knows. He's the one who knows. He's probably got more faith in who you are than anyone on planet earth. He's got more faith than the other disciples. He has proven that over and over and over and over again. And in this moment, Jesus says, I'm going to pray for your faith, Peter. What do you even mean? He walks on the water and Jesus pulls him out and he says, little faith, Peter. Just got a little faith. He knows who Jesus is. He knows that he's God in flesh. And just a few chapters later, weeks, months later, however long it is, he says, I'll pray for your faith, Peter. And Peter responds to Jesus by saying, I'm ready to go with you, Jesus, to prison and to death. But Jesus says, no, what you're ready to do is deny me three times before this day is over. So what's this faith business about? What is all this about? Even in denying that he knows him, think about this, even in denying that he knows 
Jesus. Peter surely never stops believing in him. Right? He can't stop believing in him. He's seen too much. He knows too much. He doesn't lose that revelation in a few hours, just hours of weakness, saying the wrong thing three times. I'm not saying that he's living bold for Christ. Not saying that. But he is the one that had the revelation of who Jesus was. And he cannot lose that in just a few hours of weakness and and mistake. Surely that is not the standard of faith for everyone. Surely that's not the standard that I have to live up to. Surely the standard that I have to live up to isn't walking on water without falling and, and never getting anything wrong with people. That is a standard of faith that I cannot measure up to. And you can't either. We all make mistakes. Why are you praying for the faith of Peter? Why? When you know that Satan wants to have him, to sift him, when you know Jesus tells him that you're going to deny me three times, think about this. Why didn't you pray, Jesus? Why didn't you pray this? Peter, I prayed that you won't deny me three times and... 24 hours. I prayed for you, Peter. I prayed that you wouldn't make that mistake, and I prayed that you wouldn't stumble and fall. I prayed that you wouldn't have to go through that. I prayed that the people that would ask you in your moment of weakness wouldn't ask you. I prayed that you wouldn't have to walk through that. I prayed that... Didn't pray any of that. He says, I prayed that your faith fail not. And I'm racking my brain to try and figure this out. And I'm praying as I study God to give me an answer to this question. And finally, I feel like God speaks to me. And I don't say that often. But he says, I wasn't praying for Peter to have faith in me. I wasn't praying for Peter to have faith in me. I was praying for him to have faith that I could use him. That in spite of his faults and in spite of his inability and in spite of the fact that he could not do what I can do, that I could still use him. See, Peter steps out of the boat onto the water. He takes a few steps and he begins to see the wind and the waves and he says to himself, I cannot do this. This is something that God can do, but this is not something that I can do. And so he begins to sink. Peter steps out again metaphorically when he says, I'll go with you to prison and to death, as if to say, I will go and take the crucifixion with you, Jesus. Yet, when push comes to shove, he sinks Again, he, like many others, turns his back on Jesus. And Peter thinks in that moment, I have tried. Have you been there? I have tried. I have tried walking on water, and I sank. I've tried living like him, and I sank. I can't walk on water. I can't live sinless. I can't go to Calvary. I can't die for their sins. I can't be like Jesus. I cannot do the things that he does. And with that realization, he leaves the disciples and returns to fishing. If I can't be like Jesus, I will just be Simon. It was never about his belief in his Savior, but it was always about his belief in his Savior's ability to use him in spite of who he was. Some of you are in here today and you're experiencing that in your own life. You've been through some stuff. 
You've done some things wrong. You've grasped for the eternal and fell so woefully short because of your humanity and who you are. We all make mistakes. And some of you are feeling the weight of not being God on your shoulders. A weight that you could never, ever live up to. Peter couldn't live up to. And you're feeling that today. After his resurrection, Jesus comes to Peter and says, Simon, notice again, Simon, do you love me? And he replies, you know I love you. Feed my lambs. Peter doesn't say nothing. He said, Simon, do you love me? Feed my sheep. Simon didn't say nothing. Why? Why didn't he say, all right. He's struggling with this. He says, Simon, do you love me? You know I love you, Jesus. It was never about me loving you. It was never about that. Simon, if you love me, you're going to have to feed my sheep. If you love me, you are going to have to do the things that I've been doing. Simon, you're going to have to walk in my shoes. Simon, you're going to have to go the places that I've been going. Simon, you're going to have to minister to people I've been ministering to. Simon, you have to be me because I'm not going to be on this earth for forever. Simon, if you love me, loving me just between you and I, that's all right. But you've got to, be, you've got to put yourself in my shoes. And Simon is struggling with this thing that Jesus is asking of him. I cannot feed his sheep. I cannot walk on water. I cannot live perfect. I can't do the things that you're asking me to do. They are impossible. I am just Simon. I am just a fisherman. My dad ain't nobody. I don't have any education. I put my foot in my mouth. I mess up too much. I have too much history and too much past. And quite frankly, I've talked, I've tried it before. And I didn't measure up. But as the words of Jesus penetrate his heart, he remembers the time that Jesus told him that he'd deny him. Luke chapter 22, verse 34. And he said, I tell thee, Peter. He said, I tell thee, Peter. He's just said, Simon, Simon, Satan hath desired to have you that he might sift you as wheat. But then when he tells him that he's going to fail, he says, I tell thee, Peter. I tell thee, Peter. Out of all the times he's called me Simon, out of all the times he's called me Simon, he chose this time to call me Peter. Nobody, the only times that I've ever had that name connected to me is three times. The first time he looked at me and he said, one day they're going to call you Peter. That was fine. The other time I was on the mountaintop. I had a revelation that no one else had. I had information that no one else had. I had faith that no one else had. I believed in God and I knew some things that weren't everybody wasn't privy to. But the third time, the third time I wasn't on the mountain. And the third time, I wasn't at my best. And the third time, Jesus is looking me in the eye and saying, I'm going to deny him three times. I'm going to do the thing that's going to 
eat at me the worst. I'm going to make my worst mistake. And that third time he called me Peter was before that. The third time he called me Peter was before my greatest failure. Not my greatest success, but in my greatest failure. And finally it all starts to make sense to him. This message that Jesus is trying to drive home sinks in. You could never walk on water, Peter. You never could walk on water. You could never live perfect. You could never do the things that I do. But I did not just call you for your moments of revelation. I didn't just call you for your mountaintop moments. I called you for your moments of struggle, Peter. I called you for your moments of weakness. I called you for your moments of inadequacy when you know that the calling that I put in you is so much bigger than you can ever take care of on your own. That's what I called you for, Peter. Your moments on the mountain are going to be few and far between, but your moments of the daily grind and the struggle of life are going to be much, much more. And you've got to understand that when I look at you in those moments, I'm not saying, Simon... But when I look at you in your moment of failure, when you fall down, I look at you and I say, you are Peter to me. You're Peter. I saw you looking around at the winds and the waves and you began to lose faith that you could do it. But when will you understand, Peter, that you cannot walk on water? You will never be able to walk on water, Peter. You are not me and you are not God. But when you trust me, I will do those things that you cannot do in you and through you. I'll use you to do things that you ain't got no business doing, that you could never do on your own. Peter, you cannot preach to a crowd of thousands. You cannot preach and the Holy Ghost fall. You can't preach. You can't lay your hands on somebody and do that. You can't have your shadow pass by and heal somebody. But on the day of Pentecost, I'm going to use you to do some things that you cannot do. When you pass by the gate and you see the lame man, and you, you, because you can't offer him anything of yourself, because you can't handle that situation, you're going to look at him and not say, oh, this is my program for you. You're not going to say, this is what I can do for you because I'm Peter and I'm Simon and I've learned this and I know this, but you're going to look at him and say, silver and gold have I none, but such as I have. I give to you in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. I'm going to use you to do some things that you could never do on your own. I'm preaching to somebody this morning who feels the tangible and real call of God on their life to do greater things. To step out in prayer. To step out in evangelism. To step out in the miraculous and into your calling and reach out for the glory of God and the Spirit of God in a deeper way than you have ever experienced before. <laughs> but you feel bound today because you're not perfect. And you feel bound because you're human. And you've got baggage and you've got mistakes and problems. And you can't walk on water. Your mistakes don't disqualify you, hear me. 
Your mistakes don't disqualify you. Your humanity does not disqualify you. The devil is a liar and the father of it. And he is trying to sift you this morning. He's trying to sift you and separate you from the plan of God for your life. Jesus did not pray. He did not pray that you would not fall. He could have. He could have. We'd be living a lot different today if he would have prayed, don't let Jesus, don't let Peter fall because I can't use him if he falls. He didn't pray that you would live perfect. He could have, but he didn't. He didn't pray that you wouldn't make mistakes. He didn't pray that you would be perfect. He prayed that when you fall, when you fall, not if, when you fall and in your imperfection, not if you have imperfections, not if you have baggage, not if you have struggles, but in that you would still have faith that he can use you to do the miraculous. Rejoice not against me, oh my enemy. When I fall, I shall arise. When I sit in darkness, the Lord will be a light unto me. Somebody give him praise today. Hallelujah. We worship you, God. We thank you, Jesus. Oh, hallelujah. You're awesome, God. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Jesus was telling Peter that the days of me walking around on this earth are pretty well over. I know your faults and I know your problems, Peter. I knew them before I met you, but I know them because I've walked with you as well. I know. I know your struggles. But somebody, in spite of their imperfections, Somebody, in spite of their baggage, somebody, in spite of the fact that you can't do anything that God is calling you to do. Oh, goodness. You can't do anything that God is calling you to do. Not to His standard. You can't. He can always do it better than us. There's not one thing I'll ever do in my life as good as Jesus could do it. I'll never preach as good as Jesus. I'll never be as devoted as Jesus. I'll never live as perfect as Jesus. I'll, ne- I'll never know the Word as good as Jesus. There's not one thing. I'll never love my wife as much as God loves His bride. There's not one thing that you can do as good as Jesus. But Jesus ain't walking around on this earth anymore. Not in body. And somebody's got to pick up his calling in spite of their imperfection. And somebody's got to pick up his mission. And in spite of who you are, you've got to make him known to the world. Somebody has to make it known. Can I be honest with you today? I can't heal the sick. I can't lay hands on a single one of you and get rid of the cold. I can't do it. It is impossible for me. I can't preach and the glory of God fall. Pastor O'Connell is, is about the best human being that I know. And Sister Erica is one of the best people that I know. But they cannot build a church. They can't build a church. 
You can't lay hands on somebody and pray them through to the Holy Ghost. You cannot do that. That is not within your ability. You can't do it. You can't sing in the glory of God fall. You can't preach and conviction settle in. But by the grace and the glory of God, you will do it. You will do things that you cannot do. Stop looking at what you can and can't do. It's not about you. It has never been about you. It's not about me. God's plan is bigger than you. And it is bigger than me. It's bigger than me. I pray to God that when people look at us like they did with Peter, they would say, I can tell that they're unlearned, but I can tell that he's been with Jesus. They're doing things they ain't got no business doing. They're they're operating in an anointing that they don't have any business having. They didn't learn that. They didn't get that at a clinic. They didn't get that in this world. It must be that they have been with Jesus. It is the will of God for you to do things that you cannot do so that the glory goes to God and doesn't go to you. Amen. His strength. I don't want to mess with somebody today. His strength isn't made perfect in perfection. And I'll get around in a second. But the Bible doesn't say his strength is made perfect in perfection. He didn't call me to do only things that I can do. He said, I'm calling you to do some things that you are uncomfortable with. I'm calling you to reach out. When I tug on your heart and you go across the aisle and you lay hands on somebody and I'm going to work in their life and they're going to know that because it was you that went over there, they're going to know it was me that touched them. Come on. Because they know you. They know where you've been. They know your past. They know, that, they, they know that you can't lay your hands on them and they feel me. So I'm going to use you so that I'm going to be lifted up. I'm going to use you and your mess so that people will know me. My strength is made perfect. Not in your moments of perfection. Not in your mountaintop moments, Peter. The revelation of that he was God is awesome. The church is founded on that. The church will never fail because of that. But when I use you, Peter, you're not mostly going to be on the mountaintop. Mostly I'm going to use you in your your weakness. Paul, I'm going to give you this torn in your flesh. Why is that? Why is that? Why won't you just let that go? Why don't you just let me? The apostle Paul's got a lot going for him. He's He's got a lot of past. But after that moment, he's got a whole lot going for him. I don't know him personally, but he's pretty close. As far as what we read in the Bible, he's pretty close to perfect. Why are you going to give him that thorn in his flesh? Because my strength is made perfect when you're perfect. It's made perfect when you're dealing with it just like everybody else and you have to lean on me just like everybody else and you've got to trust me just like everybody else. And when you step out on the water, you know if I'm not there, you're going to drown. 
And when you lay your hands on somebody, you know that if I don't meet you in that moment, it's going to get real weird real quick. And when you preach, it's going to fall straight on the floor if I don't meet you there. And when you sing, ain't nobody going to worship with you if I'm not there. I need you in your weakness. I need you in your weakness. We want to live as holy and righteous as we can. I'm not saying something I'm not saying. We want to live holy. We want to be righteous. It's in this book. It's a doctrine. It's not, it's not a standard. It's a Bible doctrine. Holiness is a Bible doctrine. We believe it. We live it. We, if there's something's in this book that I don't do, I don't change the book. I do my best to change my life. But if we could be Jesus... He would have never had to come. If we could live perfect and we could live sinless, He would have never had to come and climb Calvary's hill for your sins and for my sins. If we could do what He does, and if we could do what He did, and if we could live perfect, He would have never had to do that. And the problem that we have as apostolics today is we want to be on the potter's wheel and we want to be in the Master's hand when it's time for repentance and baptism and the Holy Ghost. And that's awesome and it's incredible and we need it. And we want to be in the master's hand when it's time for blessing. Great. Be in it. But we want to take ourselves out of the master's hand and off the potter's wheel when he's calling somebody to do the supernatural. When he's calling somebody to go. And when he's calling somebody to step across the aisle and reach a hand on somebody, we say, oh, no, I can't do that. I can't walk on water, God. Don't you know? Don't you know, Jesus, that I can't walk on water? Don't you know that I can't reach across the aisle and pray for them and them get the Holy Ghost? Don't you know that I'm not qualified? Don't you know that I don't have that dumb card in my wallet that tells you that I'm a, I'm a licensed minister so I can't do that? We take ourselves out of his hand. Don't you know, Jesus, that I can't pray a prophetic word over somebody? Don't you know that I can't pray somebody through the Holy Ghost? Don't you know that I can't sing in shackles fall? Don't you know that I can't preach? Like that, don't you know that I can't walk on water, Jesus? But you couldn't forgive your own sins either. And you couldn't give yourself the Holy Ghost either. But in spite of you, God moved. And that's what He wants to do. That is the precedent of Him working in you and through you. That the same faith that you had when you prayed for the Holy Ghost for you is the faith that you have when you pray for it for other people. And here we are by the grace and the glory of God walking and talking and worshiping and weeping. Miracle of miracles. And Satan is trying to shift us. He's trying to separate what God has done in you from what God will and wants to do through you in the future. At every turn, he's reminding you that you are Simon. Oh, you're doing pretty good, but you're Simon. You're doing pretty good for Simon. If all you'll ever be is Simon. Simon this, Simon that. You can pray, but it'll only ever be Simon prayers. You ain't ever going to have Peter prayers. You can preach, but it's only going to ever be Simon sermons. You can sing, but it's only ever going to be a Simon anointing. You can greet, but you're going to only greet like Simon did and put your foot in your mouth at the end of the day. You can do this and that, but it's only ever going to be as good as Simon can do it. Just like Simon always did is what you're going to always be. But I wish somebody would get a hold of this today, that on your best day, when you're on the mountaintop and you're walking in the revelation of the Almighty, God is looking at you and He 
he's calling you Peter but not just on that day when you are down in the valley and when you're down in your mess and you're struggling to stand back up God is looking at you and saying in that is the day that I'm going to call you Peter that's the day that I'm calling you Peter I know that you can't walk on water I know that you'll fall and make mistakes, but if you will get out of your own head and just step into this anointing and step into where I want you to walk and fix your eyes on me, you can't walk on water, but you're never going to sink. You'll pray prayers that's going to shake heaven and shake hell. You'll witness to the lost and see the prodigal and those that are far from me come home. Music can come. Your kids and your Sunday school students, they're going to be rooted in the Word of God and they're never going to depart from it. They're going to do that. You'll sing and chains will break. You'll read the Bible and it'll transform you and it'll energize you and revelation will open up before you. You'll fast and it will release the anointing that your flesh has covered. We're going to make it known in 2019. But we ain't going to make it known in the flesh, God forbid. We ain't going to make nothing known in the flesh. We're not going to make it known through our ability. We're not going to make it known by what we can do. But we are going to hear and take heed to the voice of God. And we're going to walk in the supernatural. Will you stand with me? Ethan, you can't do what God calls you to do. You can't. Nathaniel, We love you, Jesus. Oh, why don't we lift a hand right now and give glory to God? Why don't we pray that He would speak to us in this moment? He is speaking, if we'll but hear it. He is speaking to us in our need. He is speaking to us in, in, in what we're in. And if we will listen to the voice of God, He is going to reveal some things to you right now. He is going to restore some things right now. I, I wish everybody from the front to the back could raise a hand. Oh, Jesus, we need you today. We need your spirit today. We didn't deserve it. We don't earn it. We're not good enough. But it's your goodwill to do it. Oh, Jesus, 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 we need you. Oh, hallelujah. Oh, that's all right. Cry out. Cry out. If you got lost loved ones, cry out for them. If, you've, if you're in a situation that's bigger than you, why don't you cry out to God right now? He can meet you there. 
if you feel the call of God on your life to do something that's bigger than you, why don't you cry out to God? Why don't you step out from where you are and find you an altar today? Find you a place to pray. God is going to meet you in spite of who you are and in spite of your baggage and in spite of what you bring. Oh, Jesus, Jesus, we need you. We need you, God. Your call is bigger than us. Your mission is bigger than us. Your mission is bigger than our ability. It's bigger than this church. We can't do it, but with you, we will do it. With you, we'll see the prodigals come home. With you, we'll see the supernatural release. With you, Oh, there is going to be a release of ministry throughout Sanctuary Church. The like that we have never seen before. Oh, in the name of Jesus, we pray right now. Hallelujah.